years ago, a friend of mine and I were going to go in together, actually several friends, to buy season tickets uh, for a certain sport team. And uh, I'm not trying to be vague. It was hockey. It was the Dallas Stars. I don't know why I said a certain team. I don't need to protect their identity. But uh, he had this genius idea. He said, hey, at the end of the season, we're going to do it for next season, let's go sit kind of near where we think we're going to sit. And I was like, and I, in my mind, I'm thinking sight lines and stuff like that. He said, no, let's see who the other season ticket holders are. Let's see if there's one of those people sitting around us that, you know, like when you sit next to the person who is the constant color commentator, they weren't hired by the team. They weren't hired by the network to be the color commentator, but they have something to say about everybody. Or for some of us, we have to be aware of who's sitting in front of us. We're vertically challenged, and I don't need Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or or, uh, Andre the Giant, very dated references, sitting in front of me. Like, sight lines are important to me. But for my friend, he goes, like, I want to know who's sitting around me. That's important to me. And then he took it to the extreme. Like, when he bought a house... He went out and he staked out the neighborhood at strategic times of day. He goes, I want to see what it's like right after work. I want to see what that neighborhood's like right before I go to bed. I want to see what it's like in the morning. I want to see what it's like on weekends. Like he stalked out this neighborhood, staked out this neighborhood. I get probably was stalking because he wanted to see what the neighbors were like, right? He wanted to see, am I moving in around good neighbors? He invested a lot of time into figuring that out. And I've always thought, wouldn't it be great when you buy a seat on a plane, a seat at a game, uh, a house, a hotel room, it showed you, hey, here's who's around you. And at the hotel room, they're a snorer. Sonic snorer. Hey, they're going to stay up late watching a a, a Criminal Minds marathon all night and hotel walls are thin, beware. Or that guy's going to be a color commentator or whatever it is. And the thing is, I, I, I was thinking about this myself. I found myself thinking, this is a great idea. I want to make sure I pick the best neighbors. And it was amazing to me how kind of cynical my heart is and how selfish my heart is. Instead of thinking, how could I invest all that time and energy of asking actually the question we're asking in this series, how could I just be the best neighbor possible? How could I just try to get neighboring right? And I know it's important because when Jesus was asked, we talked about it last week, when Jesus was asked, What's most important? He said this in Matthew 22. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. What's the greatest commandment in the law? The time they had 600 and they loved debating what's the best and what's not the best. Rather than really thinking, what does it look like to do this? They said, what does it look like to tell you you're getting it wrong? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the other laws and the prophets hang on these two. And I love that if you came to the FX, the family experience that kids ministry did Friday night, man, they modeled this out so well. What does it look like to love God and love people? One and two. How do you live that out? Because Jesus said, if you want to know what's most important, this is it. Love God and love people. What if he actually meant this? What if this wasn't the great suggestion? What if this wasn't a great Pinterest tip? What if this wasn't just a great, even idea? What if he meant we should actually love our neighbors and we should love our actual neighbors? The power and genius of the great commandment commandment is that it's so simple, but extremely powerful. A couple of pastors, actually a group of pastors, were meeting with the mayor of a city, and they were talking about 
which is great. Churches should do this, and we try to do this to ask people around us, what can we do to contribute to make this a great place to live? How do we make a contribution to our city to help people in need? And they started going down the list. The mayor was listing off all these things, one after another, after another, after another. And finally, he just kind of stopped, and he told this group of pastors, actually, if just everybody could be better neighbors, a lot of this stuff would go away. Then he left, and the pastors looked at each other. So it took the mayor of our city to tell us we should be good neighbors rather than Jesus. Maybe we should take this seriously. The smallest thing, just an act of kindness, an act of service, an act of being a good neighbor, of actually loving our neighbor, could be the smartest thing we do collectively to impact our cities. Last week we talked about it's hard to love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor's name. I have to kind of say, hey, I know you've told me before, and I'm embarrassed because it was three years ago and I forgot. Remind me your name again. I did give, and if you're a first service usually person, I did give a tip that somebody gave me after the first service last week. If you go to Lubbock Central Appraisal District, LubbockCAD.org, com, net, edu, I don't know what it is, uh, .computer, whatever it is. If, if you go to that, like you can look up your neighbor's names based on the appraisal. It can give you a little help. Now, I, I, I did that this week rather than actually saying what I said I would do and go introduce myself to my neighbor. He's still on the list. I need to go introduce himself. But we actually had these little block map toolkits. And we asked, who are your eight? Who are your eight neighbors, the eight houses situated closest to you? Do you guys still have that from last week? Anybody at home or with you? If you, don't, if you didn't get one of these or you lost yours or you forgot it, uh, you can pick one up as you go home. You can download it off the website. But we're asking, who are your eight? Last week, I didn't have as many of these names filled in. I've made progress. I've learned one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine names this week. And I actually got a bingo going across. Um, not, that we're, not that that's what we're, the goal is, but I, I yelled out bingo when I wrote it in. It was fun. Do that if it helps. I still got three houses I haven't kind of filled in yet. But if you want to love your neighbor, you need to know their name. And more than that, we need to know their story. So what I would challenge you, in your apartments, in your dorms, at your house, just think about the eight houses placed around you, and asked, God, you've placed me here for a reason. What if it was actually to love my neighbor? What if this is the place that you want me to live this out with these people? And the key word we talked about last week was just being intentional. The Apostle Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, and I, I thought about this week as we had, you know, something unthinkable happen in our country, and a lot of some, several people, young people lost their lives. And I always think of this verse when anytime I see something in the world, I go, that's evil. I think about this verse. This is our response. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is his plan? What is his will? And when you walk through this passage, it just says, be careful. You could say, be intentional. Don't just drift. Don't just coast. You will not get to any place good in life just by drifting or coasting or just kind of sit. Let's see how it plays out. But that's our strategy in a lot of things. I hope things will be different. No, be careful. And how you do that, by being careful how you live, your daily choices, your relationships, being intentional with those. Not as unwise or as wise, and we have a decision there, 
Who do I want to be? Do I want to be someone who's wise or unwise? And almost, I would think all of us would say wise, but yet if you follow us around for a week, you'd say, is that really what you want? Are you making those kind of wise choices? And it says it's important you're wise because the days are evil. We don't need to read the newspaper. We don't need to watch the news. We don't even need to walk around and look at that. We know that to be true. We experience there is evil in the world. So what's our response to that? Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. As a pastor, I get, this is one of the more frequent questions I get. How do I know what God's plan is for my life? How do I understand what the Lord's will is for my life? A guy named Paul Little, who wrote a book called Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe a long time ago, he has this great statement. He said, you know what? When it comes to God's plan for your life, 90% of it can be known just by reading God's word. 90%. The other 10% is probably pretty role-specific for you, pretty life-specific, pretty you-specific. And it takes some searching and some listening, some waiting and some discernment, wise counsel along the way. But 90% is, and I'm convinced that if you don't focus on doing what you know to do, the 90%, it makes it a lot harder to figure out the last 10%. But if the wise thing to do in an evil world where I need to make the most of every opportunity, I know that the Lord's will is for me to love my neighbor. He said, here's what I want you to do. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor. So the question is, if I'm going to love my neighbor, the question we need to ask is, what are the barriers that keep me from doing that? What keeps me from loving my neighbor? What what barriers are there from me taking the great commandment seriously? Now, there are lots of things we could talk about. Knowing their name, that's one. And so we're giving you a tool to help with that. We're giving you some encouragement to actually say, hey, we're giving, it's an assignment if that helps you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a practical next step. Just go know your neighbors, write in their names, and then you've got to start. And then know their story. Maybe for you, it's fear. We're going to talk about that next week, because many of us live with fear, that uncomfortableness. Maybe it's because we're an introvert. Maybe it's because, man, I don't even know if I I can, it's an awkward relationship with them. I don't know. But fear might be a barrier. There might be something else that keeps you from actually doing that. I honestly think the biggest barrier that keeps us from knowing our neighbors is time. The thought of adding one more thing to my schedule makes the whole Jenga puzzle that is my life come crashing down. My schedule feels like a house of cards at times. But we're told here by the Apostle Paul, be wise, making the most of every opportunity. Which means I have to be intentional, I have to be careful how I live, not as unwise, but as wise. Because I do believe the biggest obstacle to taking the great commandment seriously is time. And some of the myths of our day of what we believe about time is, one is that things will settle down someday. That eventually, things will just kind of settle down and I'll have some pockets of time open up and I'll be able to to love my neighbor more and do these things that I'm kind of setting off to the side. Life doesn't feel like it settles down. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it feels like it's a snow globe and someone keeps shaking it more and more and more until the more things are just floating around. And sometimes it's my schedule, sometimes it's my mind, but it feels very chaotic, and life drifts towards chaos. 
Or sometimes it's we're pursuing something and we think, I just got to earn a little bit more, do a little bit more, achieve a little bit more, experience a little bit more, and then I'll deal with it. That's a myth we believe, that more will be enough. And then the other thing is, I look at my schedule and I look at yours and I look at everybody else's and like, everybody lives this way. So misery loves company and so does depravity. Hey, we're all in it together, right? We all have busy schedules. This is just normal. Well, what if we decided there's a new normal? What if we reset and what if we based our normal based on what Jesus says is most important? Like I said, in life, there's a constant drift toward complexity, which means there is a need for us of two things, simplicity and priority. For those those of you who do struggle with busyness, if you feel like your calendar is too full, and it's not always time, sometimes it's energy, sometimes it's priority, sometimes it's availability, sometimes it's mental capacity, financial capacity, whatever it is, our dilemma is not a shortage of time, it's a problem of priorities. It's discerning, being careful how we live, and making the wise choice to discern this is what's most important. And if it's most important, it should get the best of our time, the best of our money, the best of our prayers, the best of everything from us. That's why Jesus says, number one, most important, love God with everything. He should get the best of everything I have. But Jesus says, I don't want you to exclude this important idea that you need to love your neighbor. It's like it. And the question we have to ask is, as we tend to let the urgent things crowd out the important things, is are we missing the main thing because we're busy doing just a lot of good things? Like, I have good things on my calendar. But what I am having to do right now, and I actually have actually in a phase of kind of cutting some things out, we have to learn to say no to some good things so we can say yes to the best things. And saying no to some good things so we can say a better yes and say yes to some God things, the things that he does have planned for us. And managing my time and energy and my priorities, is a hu- it's a huge challenge for me. And I don't think I'm alone in that. And the conviction for me this week as I thought about this, and I kind of saw it play out in my life, because I had a lot of good intentions about neighboring this week, and I recognize there's a level of accountability with me because I'm the one with a microphone, and I'm going to be honest with you about how it's going for neighboring with me. We try to practice authenticity. So when I say I don't have time to get to know my neighbor, I didn't actually go over to the neighbor I said I would and shake his hand and say, hey, remind me your name. Instead, I went to a website. Facebook. When I say I don't have time to get to know my neighbor, what I'm really saying is I don't consider getting to know my neighbor as important as everything else I do. And we live with this tension. I live with this tension of urgent and important. Urgent things come up. It has to be attended right then. And I had several urgent things come up this week that weren't on my calendar. And I think they were kind of important, but they weren't scheduled. And there were some things that were urgent that weren't important. And they just showed up in my life. When urgency drives our agenda and drives our calendar, our lives won't match up with our intentions. Stephen Covey used to give this illustration, and it still floats around, about sand, pebbles, and rocks. And he would have these two jars, and he would bring someone on stage, and he'd put out a pile of sand, a pile of pebbles, and a pile of these big rocks. And the big rocks were all labeled with things that are important, like family, faith, community involvement, um, 
exercise, sleep, like these big rocks that were urgent, or excuse me, important priorities. And then the pebbles represented these things that are commitments that you have to do, like your job and, and laundry and paying bills and these, all these things that you have to do. It's just on there. And then the sand represents these urgent things or things that just pop up. And he puts them all out and he asks someone, he puts the sand in first and then he puts the pebbles in and he says, now I need you to put all these big rocks that you say are important. And here's the, here's the this is me just laying my cards on the table. This is me. I was actually going to have a couple of big rocks up here and I forgot them. <laughs> I left them over there. That's how, that's how this is such a mess. I'm such a mess. So look, at least you can get right better than me on this test. But anyway, he says, now take these big rocks and I need you to put in, fit everything in, see if you can fit it in. And they try and they can't do it. And he says, okay, well, now let's try this. Let's put the big rocks in first. Your faith, your family, exercise, health, finance, you know, whatever's most important. Let's put those in first, then put in the pebbles, and then put in the sand. And as you shift things around, everything kind of settles in and you can fit it all in the jar. And it's a great illustration and it's true. Put your big rocks in first. Figure out what's most important and schedule your life around that. Here's the problem with that. The sand and pebbles, just, they just keep coming. Stuff shows up, and it just doesn't work, so we keep trying, and we keep trying to stuff stuff in and shift it around and move it around and shift stuff in, and people schedule in their priorities, but the urgent things just keep coming up, and they guilt trip us. As we try to take care of the pebbles and the promises that we make to ourselves about scheduling and priorities, and I'm, I'm going to live differently tomorrow or next week or next year. And the biggest myth I think that we have about time and how we manage it is that we can fit it all in. You can't. You cannot fit everything in that you want to or you need to. We have capacity issues. My cheat, every time I see that illustration is, well, let's just go buy a bigger jar, <laughs> right? I mean, I had phone calls this week I had to deal with. And they didn't schedule themselves. And there were some things that were important that got pushed to the side. And no matter how I arranged my week, it just wouldn't have worked. Rearranging it differently does not always work. And we search for the next productivity app. The promise of technology is this would make life simpler and you would have more time. It has had the reverse effect on our lives, our schedules, our hearts, our finances, our relationships. It's a great tool, but ultimately, the best tool you have with your time is the ability to say yes and no and create some space and margin. At some point, we just have to get rid of some rocks. We have to say no to some good things, and decisions have to be made, and it might be working less. It might be doing... That hobby less, it might be less TV. I know one of the things I decided a couple months ago, because just, I'm just in a tough spot right now, kind of in life, and I'm thinking, I know the best thing I could do is just get the right amount of sleep. Science tells me that. The Bible says resting is important. Why do I think I'm any different? That's got to go on there, and I've got to say, you know what? I'm not going to watch that game. I'll be able to find the score tomorrow. I'm going I'm to say no to that. Chances are the decisions will be very difficult or else you've already made them. So what is it in your life 
that if you did less of it, it wouldn't take away from you loving God first and loving people second and living out the life God has for you. What are some difficult decisions you have to make or might have to make in order to reduce the amount of pebbles and rocks in your life? When Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle, the artist, uh, was, was making the statue of David. There's a famous statue of David that said, I think it's in Florence, Italy. It was at one point. And it was even positioned with its eyes kind of very intense, facing toward Rome. There was a, I don't know if it's some kind of political protest or something, but there was some story about that. And, but everyone's always held this up. And by the way, it's a full statue, but he didn't, Michelangelo didn't carve many britches, so I figured we shouldn't show that. Yeah, it might be distracting. So uh, anyway, uh, they asked Michelangelo, and by the way, like there were some other very, Botticelli, Leonardo da Vinci, were other people like involved with this process, and a young Michelangelo, again the artist, not the Ninja Turtle, was asked to do this, and they asked how he did it, and because he, he just had this big block of marble, big block of marble, and basically he just said, I took everything on that block of marble that didn't look like a masterpiece, and I just chiseled it away, and when you know what you want your life to look like, there are some things that we want to do that we recognize that's not going to help me be the person God created me to be. And it's hard to take the hammer and chisel and say, that's got to go. And, and I would implore you to consider Paul's words in Ephesians 5 about live wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't be foolish. Know what God's will is. Build your life around what you know God wants you to do and who God has called you to be. I would implore you to build it around what Jesus says is most important, loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself because everything else hangs on those two. When you build your life around him and when you think about every activity in your life is shaping you, parents, everything you put on your kid's calendar is shaping them. And parents, the way you handle your calendar is modeling for them what it looks like to live a life that honors God and loves him with all and loves people. And you recognize it's shaping you. Look at how you spend your time and ask yourself the question, is, God, is this putting the chisel in God's hand to shape me into being his masterpiece, his work of art, as it says in Ephesians 2? You are God's workmanship. And the scheduling of your time the ordering of your priorities and a surrendered life to him is putting the chisel and the hammer in the hands of a master. Jesus got a lot done in life without being hurried. He had time for people and conversations. In fact, sometimes he was even interrupted. There's a great story in Mark 5 about his life where he was going and this guy named Jairus, who's a, a, a temple leader, comes to him, synagogue leader, and comes to him and says, hey, um, my daughter is dying. Will you help? And he says yes, and he's traveling there. And then a lady comes up who has some health issues, and she kind of tugs on his coat and, and kind of pulls him aside, and he knows something's going on, and he stops. Imagine the dad who says, come with me. And as he's going, going hey, you're getting distracted. Stay on target. Stay on target. As Jesus turns aside to help this woman, Jesus had time for interruptions. What happens when you're interrupted by something that's important 
I've been thinking about this weekend with my kids, and, and as they would kind of interrupt me with what they think is important, um, and my response isn't always the same, I recognize, well, but they're important, and I need to be available for interruptions. And what I recognize is the key question I have to ask myself is, am I living at a pace that allows me to be interruptible? To live at a place that allows us to be available to those around us. And I would just say, if you want to neighbor well, it starts with the people who are in the same room next to you, in the room next to you. The people in your house matter most. But Jesus said, if you arrange your life the right way, you can love your neighbor. And it might take you arranging your life around that. Do we believe it's that important? And do we think maybe our pace of life really does matter? In his book, The Life You Always Wanted, John Ortberg states that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual growth. It's the enemy, enemy of the spiritual life. And he kind of coins this term called hurry sickness. And he says the reason is hurry and love aren't compatible. You, you cannot express love to others. You cannot express kindness to others when you live at a hurried pace. And that's what Jesus models for us. Love always takes time. It often involves interruptions. It involves sacrifice. And we have no better model for that than Jesus himself, who is interrupted, who goes out of his way, who sacrifices, ultimately, even at the cross. Love always takes time. It always takes intentionality. And when we say the word love, we're not talking about the feeling, but the choice and the action. Love your neighbor, even if you don't love your neighbor. And Jesus spoke to the danger of this hurry sickness and its impact on our hearts and our lives. And again, everything you do with your time is shaping you in some way. And you may not have thought about scheduling your life as a spiritual discipline, a spiritual habit, but it is. And, you know, it's interesting we use time and money with the same language. We budget our time and our money, or at least we should. We spend our time and our money. We invest time. We invest money. They're so similar, but the thing is you can make more money. But time, you can't go buy a bigger jar. Your time is what it is. We all have 24-7, 365, but one day it'll be over. And when you look back, will you have lived at a pace that allows not just for you to love God and love people, but to allow God to shape you with his love? When Jesus told the parable of the seed in the soil, he talked about this, the word of God and the truth of God is like a farmer who goes out and he puts soil or, or seed around on the soil and there's four types of soil. And the third type was this, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear the truth, which might be those of you that are awake right now, it includes you, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures and they do not mature. How many things of our life has God taught us this truth and we embraced it? But then the pace of life, and the ambitions of life, and the priorities of our life come up and they choke the truth out where it doesn't take root in our lives. We go on our way and life has its way with us and it kills what God's trying to build. Here's, here's the big idea I want you to think about today. That if you want to take the great commandment seriously, you must must, must create space. 
if you don't build space in your lives to build relationships, it's going to be very hard to love your neighbor well. Neighbors aren't a box to check off. They're people to know, spend time with, be interrupted by, and love. What many of us will need to do in our spiritual life with this and anything else God calls us to oftentimes is to make a calendar change, calendar change to take something off our calendar so someone can get on it. Look at your calendar this week, what you have planned. Do, are your neighbors anywhere on your calendar? Does anybody's name show up where you could say, that's time I'm going to invest, spend loving my neighbor? Because I think the overwhelming thing when you read the, the Bible, when you look at the life of Jesus, when you hear how Paul tries to teach us how to live it out, people are the priority. And if they weren't, Jesus would not have done what he did for us at the cross. People are the priority. So are they a priority for you? And who are your eight? These are some names that God says, I want you to love them the way I would love them. Will you arrange your life to where they're not just on a page, but they're on your calendar and they're in your life? If you don't have one of these and you want to pick one up, they're at Guest Central. You can download it off the Live Oak website, live-oak.org slash neighboring. I encourage you to do this. And again, it's not a game of bingo, although I have one going across. It's not a game of bingo. It's not a competition. But it is a priority. And what I want to challenge you to do, a very practical next step, what I want to ask you to do, and next week I'll ask you, did you do it? Spend at least an hour in your front yard or a common area this week in your apartment or dorm or wherever it is, and just see what happens. I could, took a step toward that last week. I put these chairs on my front porch. These are chairs that are usually in our backyard. We even had our patio expanded. We love spending time in the backyard, our fenced-in backyard, where usually I can control who comes in and goes out, but we have some neighbors that feel freedom to come over, and that's fine. It's neighboring, I guess. Kids don't always have a sense of when's appropriate to walk in the yard or not, but hey, welcome. I'm supposed to love my neighbor and their kids. They come over, but we decided we're going to take two chairs, Jennifer and I, and we're going to put them on the front porch, and we did it. Well, here's where I probably need to get clearer for some of us, and I'm the one that said it. We actually need to sit in the chairs. I didn't sit in that chair once this week. Now, to be fair, our basketball goal blew over, and the rim popped off, and so the idea of sitting out there and watching my kids play basketball, or it, it just didn't happen because West Texas win. Best sunsets you'll ever see or taste, right? <laughs> so this week, I'm going to spend an hour sitting in that chair, not just moving it out there, but sitting in the chair. Or maybe you might want to take a walk around your neighborhood and say, God, just help me to see my neighbors, know my neighbors. If I see someone I don't know, introduce myself. I tried to do that. To, I did try to do that to one neighbor this week, and he said, "Oh, I don't live here. I'm just helping this guy down the street move in, and I'm just getting in my car." All right. Well, I'm trying to get bingo here, buddy. Come on, help me out. <laughs> Take a walk in your neighborhood. Introduce yourself to people. Try to really see them. Try to see what's going on. Try to ask more questions than you give answers. Ask them to tell you their story. And, and I know at some point they feel like it's stalking, not neighboring. But be careful, be wise. Take a next step to knowing your neighbor so you can love your neighbors. Would you do that this week? One hour and take a next step. Would you do that?
Thank you, both of you. Anybody else? Thank you. Please, please do that because I think it means, we, we, it means we're taking the Great Commandment seriously. We have some neighboring resources to help you in, 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 as well as uh, a way where you can submit some tips for how, how you can be a good neighbor. It could be a simple tip. It could be a, a story. Uh, somebody sub- submitted a great story about how they got to know their neighbors. They're all very different, but they're together and they know each other and it was a great story. But what are your neighboring tips? And the thing we want to do every week is give you a prayer for your neighbors and this is the prayer for this week. God, give me the courage and desire to make time to take the next step with those who live closest to me. Some prayers you pray and you hope God answers it. Sometimes the prayer like this is the one you pray and hope God doesn't take you up on it. But let's be bold and say, God, give me the courage and the desire to really know my neighbors, to take a next step with those who live closest to me. Spend an hour just in a common area, in a front yard, take a walk and introduce yourself. And Moses had this to say in in Psalms. He wrote this in Psalm 90. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's not just the wise thing to do to be careful of how you invest your time. When you invest your time well, you actually become more wise. Your heart grows wiser over time. Again, everything you're doing is shaping you. Who do you want holding the hammer and chisel? I trust Jesus. And it starts with letting him take a chisel to my calendar and my schedule and invest in the things that will shape my faith. It will be the resource I draw from from everything else in life, including loving my neighbor. Let's stand for closing prayer. Neighboring sometimes has to do with geography. Sometimes it has to do with, with time. And for every one of us, there are neighboring generations. There are people older and younger that we need to reach out and know, and they're in a different generation than us. Well, at Live Oak, we really believe investing in the next generation is important. And so we have a Sunday every year where we celebrate and try to equip you and us as a church to invest in the next generation. And that's in two weeks on March 4th. Uh, a lot of times it's a family Sunday where kids, kindergarten through fifth, are in the, in the room. This time they're not. Uh, we have some family Sundays at other times. This one is just for uh, sixth grade and up. And we're going to talk about it and try to practically equip you to how to invest in a neighboring generation, whether you're a parent, grandparent, teacher or just someone who wants to take the great commandment seriously, that loving your neighbor sometimes means loving the next generation. We're going to help equip you to do that. And parents, we're actually going to have a resource that we think will be very practical as an option for you to pick up that's been hugely helpful for me as a parent. So put that on your calendar. And why we do it is we believe God called us to reach out across the street, our neighbors, across the globe. Our neighbors include people anywhere that comes on our radar and the next generation. That's who God's called us to love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks that you love us and that you're for us, that you made time and you were intentional with investing and initiating with us. God, I pray you would be our model for this. You would be our example in this. You would be our strength in this. And we would rearrange our lives around you, loving you first and loving our neighbor second. And then out of our love for you and as you work in our lives, out of the overflow of that, we would love our neighbors well. Give us the courage and desire to really know our neighbors and take a next step, to spend an hour out front on a walk in a common area. God, use us this week to love our neighbors that need to know that they're loved by you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front. I won't.